In the scripture for this morning, Jesus is talking about loving your enemies, which is, quite frankly, a difficult thing to comprehend. I mean, it's not so difficult for us to hear the instruction to love your enemies because we've heard it all our lives through our familiarity with the teachings of Jesus. Love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Love your enemies. It's not surprising in that sense, in that we've heard it over and over as part of the series of love commands that Jesus gives to those who follow him. But it is nevertheless hard to comprehend. Love your enemies? It really doesn't make sense. From a perspective of protecting yourself, not increasing your risk or your vulnerability, being smart enough to invest only in the places where you are most likely to get a decent emotional return. From those perspectives, it doesn't make sense. An instruction to love your enemies is hard to comprehend. I got a marketing email this past week promoting the release of an independent documentary film titled Circle Up. It's the story of a woman in Boston whose son was murdered, and from what I could gather from the movie trailer, she decided to try to connect with one of the teenagers who participated in the killing of her son. And from there, to try to circle up other mothers whose children have been murdered, and to circle up with teenagers whose friends have been murdered. I am favorable toward the concept of restorative justice, which is what the filmmaker is promoting, but I had to confess I had a hard time imagining myself in the mother's shoes. Particularly as I watched a scene at her son's grave marker, something that must have been filmed sometime after the murder took place, quite a while perhaps, a scene where she hugs the young man who killed him. It was just a brief trailer for the movie, but at one point she says, if I think of them as monsters, I let them off the hook. If I hold them in their humanity, then I hold them accountable. And how do you hold your enemies in their humanity? I suppose the answer is that you love them. But still, it seems kind of crazy. Taken to that extreme, loving as the mother in this documentary movie loves, likely feels nearly impossible to the rest of us, at least from our human emotional perspective. Love your enemies? I mean, what she says makes sense at some spiritual ideal level. If I think of them as monsters, I let them off the hook. If I hold them in their humanity, then I hold them accountable. But does it make sense at our usual emotional human experience level? 
And then as we turn back to the scripture again, as if it isn't already hard enough to step into this space of loving our enemies, because it doesn't really make sense in our experience in the world, in terms of our emotional realities at least, This command to love your enemies, to bless those who curse you, to turn the other cheek, to give also your shirt to the one who takes your coat. Then Jesus goes ahead and ups the ante by saying something like this. What's so impressive about loving those who love you? You think you should get credit for that? You think you should be praised for that? Even the worst kind of people are able to love those who love them. And of course you will lend to those whose credit is good with you. But how is that so impressive? In other words, if you're doing good because you want to be thought of as good, or if you're lending to others, not because you've evaluated their credit and it seems good enough, but because you want credit for being good, then that's spiritually empty because you've made it about commodities, not about compassion. Trading something rather than offering yourself. Doing good, or to take it a step further, loving someone else because you aim to get something of comparable value to what you give because you think life should be about making a fair trade, may allow you to think that you are close to God, but that doesn't make it so. That's really hard stuff. Jesus says, love your enemies, and then he pushes us a little further, maybe right over the edge of reasonableness by saying, But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Expecting nothing in return. Okay, we might say, I get it that Jesus wants us to love our enemies because, hey, maybe in loving the person who is opposed to you or in conflict with you or resisting you might crack something open. Maybe loving is the pry bar that opens the door to change. And so when you love someone who doesn't love you, maybe even someone who hates you, you're taking a calculated risk that love, that the love you are offering is strong enough to spark something good in return. You're taking the chance. You're making a calculated bet that love sparks love. And that it just might be worth it. But what if Jesus is saying, that's not even the point. Fair trade is not the point. You are to love your enemy not because you're trying to create a possible return on the investment, but simply because you are called to love. Whether it changes anything or not. And that gracious, non-demanding, unconditional, give no matter what kind of love is proved when you love and expect nothing in return. 
And here's another thing that occurs to me. When you do that, when you love the one who does not love you, and you do it without expectation of anything in return, you are now a love-your-enemy realist. You are. Because love isn't always a game-changer in terms of relationship with your opponent or even your enemy. Before love can be a game-changer, love has to get past suspicion, right? If you love your enemy, if you treat them not as they have treated you, but you treat them as someone with whom you already have a loving relationship, do you know what their first reaction is going to be? I can tell you that it's not going to be, oh, what a pleasant surprise. Or, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. Now it's time for us to move forward together, hand in hand. No, what you are more likely to get is suspicion when you love your enemy. What is your angle? What is your agenda? What trick do you have up your sleeve? Because quite frankly, turning the other cheek or giving your coat to someone who has taken your shirt is odd. It is strange. It's strange enough to be suspicious. Loving someone who hasn't been loving to you and doing it without expectation that they will return anything to you is strange. It is suspicious. Who does anything these days without expectation of something in return? and especially doing something for an opponent or an enemy. Last year, late in the year, I did a small job, or you might say a large chore, to help out someone who couldn't do the work themselves. It started out as kind of a minor helping out, but once I got started with the job, I realized that there was much more that needed to be done than I had anticipated. And suddenly what I thought would take a few minutes or maybe 30 minutes, ended up taking a lot longer. The work was pretty steady, physically demanding, and not only that, but in addition to the time and effort, I spent some other resources of my own to get the job done. I don't have a relationship with this person particularly. I didn't want the person to pay me back. That never crossed my mind. I didn't even really expect a thank you, although that would have been nice. But what kind of got to me after it was all said and done was that there was never any acknowledgement at all. Like I said, I don't really have a relationship with this person, but I see them from time to time. And after I help them out, I notice them in passing but there was never even a nod or a wave. Now, it shouldn't matter. It really shouldn't. And in truth, it really doesn't. Life goes on without acknowledgement, much less gratitude. But I found that I was still thinking about it, right? Even months later. And I came to realize that I did expect something. And I believe that many of us live lives that are bound up with expectation. We have a picture in our minds or a narrative of what will happen or what should happen or what would be fair or even what would be delightful. And we live as if that picture in our mind is somehow a reality that is owed to us. 
And those stories of our expectations are populated with friends and family and co-workers and neighbors and even enemies. We build a story of expectation, casting everyone else as characters in our drama. The drama of my expectations. I expect people to do certain things and to act in a certain way. I expect the following of certain routines. I expect to be rewarded or recognized for certain actions. I expect someone to like something or appreciate something or acknowledge something. I expect my body to hold up, to serve me as I need it to. I expect people that I take most for granted to be reliable and consistent to be there for me. Those expectations are not grounded in anything other than what I wish would be or what I hope will happen, but they are so powerful nevertheless. I remember many years ago being offered a job. At least it sounded like a job offer. The person pulled me aside and told me they had a position in their organization that I would be perfect for. For this reason and that reason... I was flattered and a little more than a little intrigued. The conversation came at a time when I wasn't completely happy where I was, feeling a little unappreciated as well as unsure about how good the fit was between me and the people I was working with at the time. The person who mentioned the job to me and how they wanted me to take the position was traveling at that time and said to me, I'll be in touch when I get back home and get a few other things taken care of. A week or two went by, and I didn't hear anything. I started to wonder whether I had missed a message or whether the whole you would be perfect for the job was complicated by an institutional process that needed to get rolling. Some more time went by, and about the time when it seemed like too much time had had gone by, I found out I was right. I came across the news that someone else had been hired for the job. It was a strange feeling. I hadn't sought the job, I hadn't presented a resume. I hadn't interviewed for the job. I hadn't told my employer at the time that I was thinking of leaving. I hadn't done anything except wait to hear back from someone who had dangled it in front of me. And yet I discovered that I was disappointed. Kind of a little hurt. I had expected something. Or at least I had my expectations stirred. And then nothing came of it. Later on, I encountered the person and I said something like, what happened? At first, they seemed not to remember what I was talking about. And then once they caught on to what I was talking about, they hinted around that offering the job was more complicated than they had realized, that the politics and process were more difficult than they had realized, and so on. And it sounded to me like blah, 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 blah. Looking back, I think what actually happened was that the person had, of course, talked to me about the job, and then they had promptly forgotten, which was also a discouraging thought. In any case, looking back, I think to myself, why was I so bothered? Was it my ego? Maybe, somewhat. But more than that, I think I was bothered because I had already started a new story for myself. I had expectations. When I first read Jesus' instructions in this scripture to love your enemies, I think I read it in terms of do better with your loving. Anyone can love those who love them in return, but you do better. 
And that's true. That's good advice. When I read it the second time, love your enemies, turn the other cheek, give your shirt and your coat, I think I read it in terms of this idea. Love is more than giving and getting. Real love, God's love, isn't conditional. But when I read it a third time, love your enemies and expect nothing in return. And I pause and I hover over the word expect. Then I see something I didn't see before. I realize that when Jesus says, expect nothing in return, he isn't criticizing me for being just like any old sinner who only loves those who love him in return or who gives and gets and is always measuring the balance. But I realize that Jesus is actually offering me a way to love sustainably. And by saying that Jesus is offering me a way to love sustainably, I mean this. When I strip away the expectations from the love that I give to others, whether friend or foe, I am finally loving from a place of full freedom. Rather than being bound by expectations, my love is free. Free to come and go. Free to do things beyond my control. Free to shape and tell its own story. That is, rather than love being a character in the story that I am crafting, maybe the co-star in the drama that I am writing, starring along with happiness, sadness, reward, recognition, in a story titled, My Expectations, love can instead be the story that is shaping me. Do you understand? Love without expectation lets love be not just a character in my story told my way, but it lets the story be about love. When love is given without expectation, then the story is love, and I am a character in love's story, rather than the story being only about me. You see the difference, right? Freed from expectation, from the very often very narrow constraints of my expectations, love might do all sorts of things. Love might take the story in an entirely different direction than I would have taken it. Love might plant a seed that I can neither see nor nourish. Love might work its miracles in ways that are beyond my power and my comprehension. Freed from expectation, love might convince someone else that I'm not involved for the sake of trickery or manipulation. Rather, I'm in it just because I am. Freed from expectation, love can even make its way from me to my enemy, traveling along the least likely of paths with the greatest of potentials. Uh, 
I can't remember when it was, probably a month or two ago, I made some reference to the nurture nudge that's in the church newsletter and how I always read it, what Amy has written, and I offered, I think, that time the nudge. Um, It was too long to be a nudge. I'm going to do it again. This is the nudge. It's way too long. We'll see how Amy uh, focuses it down into about five words, but this is the nudge for this week. If you love your opponent or your enemy or anyone for that matter, and you do it without expectation of receiving something in return, you're not only granting freedom to that person, but you are granting it to yourself. So try it this week. Give your love for free, without condition, without expectation. Give it to someone who doesn't deserve it or who doesn't expect it. Because who knows what could happen? Maybe love with no expectation is actually love with the greatest possibility. Amen.